our Lord. A good friend of mine is a rabbi in South London and we occasionally swap stories together. And he recently told me about a Jewish mother that was very worried about her son. So she went to see the rabbi and she said, Rabbi, I'm very worried about my son. He's been off to university. He's coming back from university for the first time. I don't know how he's going to be. He might have changed and I'm very worried about how he'll be when he returns home. And the rabbi said, well, listen, here's a little test you can do for him. On the day your son comes home, put a little bit of whiskey by the front door. If he drinks a little bit of the whiskey, well, don't worry, he's at university, he's having fun. If he drinks all of the whiskey, then you should be worried, very worried. Now, next to the whiskey, put some money. If he takes some of the money, don't worry, he's a student, he needs it. If he takes all of the money, then you should be worried, very worried. Now, next to the money, put some scripture. Now, if he picks up the scripture and reads some of it, he might be a rabbi, a great thing for your family, a beautiful thing for your family. If he ignores the scripture, then you should be worried, very worried. And so the Jewish mother goes home, and the day arrives for her son to come back from university, and she puts the whiskey and the money and the scripture by the door. And her son comes home, her only son comes home, and he walks through the door, and he drinks all of the whiskey, puts all of the money in his pocket, and throws away the scripture. And the Jewish mother says, oh my God, he's going to be a Catholic priest. <laughs> now, when we think about vocation, we naturally think about the priesthood. When we pray for vocations, we think about the priesthood and religious life. And that's good, because we need priests, and we need religious men and women. But St. Paul reminds us that the church is like a body, that we're made up of different parts, but we all have a role to play. We all have a calling from God. We all have a vocation. And a vocation is a very personal call from God. It's offered freely by God, and it must be accepted freely. Attraction to a certain way of life or perhaps even to a specific person, can be a good sign of your vocation. Most often a person comes to recognize and accept a vocation gradually. This process we call discernment, an opportunity for us to grow. And discernment is helped by our prayer and by our guidance from our family, from our friends, by, by trusted teachers. But of course, still, when we talk about vocation, the first one that comes to mind is priesthood. In one of Michael Caine's films, he plays a mercenary during the Thirty Years' War, during the 17th century. And in this film, Michael Caine, as a mercenary, goes around the beautiful valleys of southern Germany. And as mercenaries, they rape and pillage their way around the villages. And as the film begins, you see this group of mercenaries arrive in town, and one of the soldiers turns to Michael Caine and says, Sir, should we do the usual? And he replies, Yes, kill the priest. 
Before subduing the people, the first thing these mercenaries would do is to kill the priest. Because the priest was the heart of the village. Now, for some reason in this film, they go to a particular village and that doesn't happen. They don't kill the priest. And events move on, and by the end of the film, Michael Caine, as a mercenary, is dying in a pool of his own blood. And the final words of the film are, we should have killed the priest. I tell you that because the life of a priest is one given to his people. A priest is first and foremost of Jesus Christ. And he's a priest of Jesus Christ for the people of Christ. And a priest gives his life to you. And we need priests to receive the sacraments, to receive God's tender love, to be part of a parish family. And every parish family needs its priest. Priesthood, the priestly life, is the heart of renewal within a parish family. A few years ago, I remember going to a conference organized by a group of priests to look at how we can bring the Christian faith back to our families and our homes. And one of the main speakers was a man called Cardinal Stafford, an American cardinal. And he gave a very good talk, and at the end of it, we were allowed to ask questions. And I put my hand up and asked a question. I remember saying to him, well, where do we begin? We know it's gone wrong. We know that things aren't right. We look at our families, we look even at our parishes sometimes, and we can see that things aren't quite right. So where do we begin? If we want to bring Christ back into our families, back into our homes, if we want to bring Christ to our children, if we want Christ to be the centre of our parishes, where do we begin? And he smiled and said, Father, there's an easy answer to that. We begin with the priesthood. And he went on to explain that at the heart of the church should always be a healthy and holy priesthood. We don't just need priests. We need good and holy priests. And so tonight, I ask you as a parish family to pray for vocations to the priesthood and to encourage them if there's a young man in this parish that you think should be a priest, well, tell him that. Say to him, have you thought about the priesthood? Have you thought about the calling that God might have for you? Encourage him to be a priest. Encourage our young men to think about the priesthood. Because it's a beautiful life. I love being a priest. I'm not very good at it, but I love being a priest. I can't imagine anything else in my life. And we need to open up our hearts to encourage our young men to be priests. And then, of course, the gift of religious life. Pope Benedict said, Consecrated men and women of today have a duty to be witnesses to the presence of God in a world that is ever more confused, in a world where toning down has substituted beauty and distinctive colours. So in an increasingly bland and uniform world, we need young women and young men who are going to dare to be different. 
And so we need to pray for vocations to religious life as well. Is there someone you know who will make a good religious sister or a good brother? Again, encourage them, pray for them, and let them be part of this parish family. So priesthood and religious life, when we think of vocations, they're the two that come to mind most. But there are other callings, there are other vocations. But before talking about that, I really would ask you as a parish family to pray for vocations to the priesthood and religious life, to pray for young men and women to answer the call of God. We need them. But for most of us, the vocation we're called to is family life, or perhaps married life. But not all of us. There's a vocation within parish families that isn't always based in, in marriage life or family life. After giving a homily on vocations once, I was approached by a member of the congregation and she was very kind and grateful for the talk, but she was disappointed about one thing. She said, Father, you didn't talk about my vocation. And she was a single woman. Since then, I've often thought about people who are single for the Lord. Single Catholics, single men and women who are called to a particular vocation within our parishes. Single men and women who, for various reasons, don't go forward into married life, don't have a family life perhaps, and yet they are the cement of every parish. In the building blocks of parish life, single men and women are the cement that can keep the parish building together, that can keep the house of God together. They have a place and they have a family. Single men and women are not alone. They're at the heart of our parish life, at the heart of our parish family. And it is a calling sometimes. For various reasons, it's a vocation that people have to embrace. And so single Catholics who are single for the Lord have many gifts to give to our parish family. And the greatest one, of course, is to imitate Christ, who was a single man and gave his life. The Second Vatican Council teaches that all Christians, in whatever state or walk of life, are called to the fullness of Christian perfection. And so whatever vocation we have, the call is there for us to become perfect, as Christ is perfect. Now that's a particular call for those who enjoy married life. The call to marriage is a particular way of living and it's an answer to the universal call to holiness for every Christian. The call to the priesthood, religious life, single life, their particular vocations. The call to married life is another way of answering that call from God to follow him. There's the old saying that it takes two to tango. Well, in married life, it takes three. The husband, the wife, and God. Because in marriage, we answer the call from God to commit our life to someone else. If you like, to tie our salvation to another soul, to give our life intimately to someone 
who is going to know secrets that no one else does except God. And so in marriage, it takes three, the husband, the wife, and the presence of God. The call to love is the fundamental vocation of every human being. That's from the Catechism. The call to love, it's our fundamental vocation, our fundamental calling. Whatever state of life we find ourselves in, the fundamental vocation of every human being is love. And in the vocation of marriage, the Catechism says something which is written in the very nature of men and women. We see the love of husband and wife becomes an image of the absolute and unfailing love with which God loves us. In marriage, we have an image of how much God loves each of us. In Familiaris Consortio by St. John Paul II, the most important beautiful document on marriage and family life in the married world, St. John Paul says that preparing for marriage comes in three phases, remote, proximate, and immediate. He says that it begins in childhood, remote, when values are instilled, relationships are learned, and a character is formed. So the preparation for marriage begins as children, when we're formed and we learn how to live, how to live our relationships. Then he says it continues into adolescence, that's the proximate, with continued faith formation, development of character and life skills, so that as we go through our, our teenage years, then we explore more about life and prepare more for what might come. And he says it culminates in the months and weeks before the wedding date, the immediate. When he says there must also be a deeper knowledge of the mystery of Christ and the Church, of the meaning of grace, of the responsibility of Christian marriage, as well as preparation for taking a conscious part in the rites of the marriage liturgy. And so as parishes, as a parish family, we have a responsibility to help people prepare for marriage. We have a responsibility to encourage them in marriage. We have a responsibility to help them prepare for the life to come. According to Holy Scripture, God instituted marriage as the pinnacle of creation. How often do we think of that? That marriage is the pinnacle of creation. On the sixth day, in the first creation story of Genesis, we hear that God created man in his image. In the divine image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In the second creation story, God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. This suitable helpmate was formed from the rib of man, and thus woman was flesh of his flesh. Woman, then, is man's equal in dignity and closest to his heart, because men and women are created for each other. And again in the book of Genesis, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, 
and the two of them become one flesh. And so for us as Christians, marriage is not a human institution. Marriage is not something that society made up because it seemed a good idea. It's in the very fibre of our being, in the very marrow of our bones. It's part of who we are as human beings. That marriage is something God has created for us. And so we have to uphold that. Uphold the dignity of men and women. St. John Paul said in that same document, it is the duty of every man to uphold the dignity of every woman. That's beautiful. It's the duty of every man to uphold the dignity of every woman. Christians are new creations in Christ, healed of sin and its effects. Marriage in Christ is also recreated and made new in Christ. Jesus tells us that in the kingdom of God, the permanent union of husband and wife that God originally intended can once more be realized. St. Paul reminds us that marriage bears witness to the love of Christ for his church. Thus he says in Ephesians, husbands should love their wives even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her sanctification. And then he says, wives too are called to love their husbands as the church loves Christ. That in marriage, men and women are called to love, to honour each other, to serve each other, to give themselves to each other. Marriage is placed within the saving mystery of Jesus Christ. And so we recognise marriage as a sacrament. It's a means to which husbands and wives grow in love for each other and for their children and hopefully go hand in hand to eternal life. So when the Catholic Church teaches that marriage is a vocation, it's saying that the couple's relationship is more than simply their choice to enter a union which is social and legal. For us, when a couple gets married, they recognise that God has created them for each other, that they are a beautiful gift to each other. And it's a gift that you open and keep. You don't get the receipt to send it back if you don't like it. It's a present that God has made for us. And it's a response where two people dive into the deep end together. But they do that hand in hand. What begins as an attraction deepens into commitment. And so those called to married life are called to be supported by their parishes, supported in becoming holy and to serve the wider parish family together. Now, I know that marriage is not easy. I know that marriage can be very difficult. Putting up with somebody can be hard work. My father likes to say that first there comes the engagement ring, then there comes the wedding ring, and then comes the suffering. Because marriage only works 
if we can be patient with each other, putting up with each other, caring for each other. I remember when I was a younger priest and I knew, moved into a, a presbytery in Manchester and it was a presbytery where they'd been a priest for 38 years, God be good to him, and in that 38 years I don't think he'd opened a window, dusted a sideboard or hoovered anything in the entire time. It was a pretty grotty house. And I, so I spent my first day mopping and cleaning and dusting and hoovering and opening windows. And at the end of a long day of cleaning, I went up to one of the beds that looked decent. And as I sat on the bed, and I took my glasses off, and then I took my shoes off, and as I put my feet on the ground, something felt unusual by the bedside. Didn't feel quite right. And so I put my glasses back on, and sure enough, by the bedside were hundreds of toenail clippings. Now, that's a pretty grim thing to find. So I explored the bed I was sitting on and found a pair of false teeth under the pillow. For me, that's an image of married life. An image of what it means to be married to someone. That you put up with the toenail clippings, that you put up with the false teeth, because you're in love. And in love, you're willing to put up with each other's funny little ways and grotty little habits because you look past them. You look past the difficulties and the problems and look towards eternity together. One of the problems with a lot of young people getting married today is they have their first row and they think that's it. They have their first disagreement, their first big row and they think it's over. That's it. We have to help them go forward sometimes and look beyond the present moment, look beyond the difficulty and find again the love that can help them, the love that can keep them together. And so as a parish family, we have a responsibility sometimes to help them. Growing up, my parents used to row all the time. I hope they never listened to this because they'll kill me for telling you that. But they used to row all the time. But they always made up. Sometimes that was even worse, but still. They loved each other, and they still love each other. Forty-odd years later, they're still rowing, still having disagreements, but they're still there for each other. My parents are quite different people. My parents um, quite have very different political views as well, but they both are quite active in campaigning in politics. And so at election time, Mum will do one side of the road, and Dad will do the other side of the road, for different political parties. It's quite funny when the neighbours say, oh, nice to see you, Mr. Allen. Mrs. Allen was just here a moment ago with a different sticker. So they have very different ideas, and yet they're still in love. They manage to look past the differences, not to ignore them, but to cope with them. Because marriage is not a fleeting event. It's the project of a lifetime. And so love is our mission. Families need to be fully alive. And when we think about the family fully alive, we go back to St. Irenaeus, who said that the glory of God is man fully alive. In like manner, the glory of men and women is their capacity to love and together create a family.
Now, every child born in a family is a gift from God. Every child is loved by God. Every child comes from the mind of God. And the family is the temple where life is sacred. It is a temple dedicated to the gospel of life. And St. John Paul reminds us of that, calling us to live the gospel of life. And so we have a duty to protect human life from the moment of conception to the moment of a natural death. And we should be proud of that. We should be proud that as Catholics we believe in the gospel of life. And we do everything we can to protect human life, to cherish it, to love it. Because every child is precious. Every child is a gift from God. And it doesn't matter if there's something not quite right with a child or something that we worry about or there's a health issue or all different things. Yes, there can be difficulties to, to, to overcome together. But life is a gift from God. And it's a gift we have a duty to protect and cherish. And our families are places where that should happen. But so are our parishes. And our parishes should be places that welcome children, that welcome new life. I'm sure you've been at Mass and you've had a baby crying. I'm sure you've been at Mass and there's been a little baby crying somewhere. You probably found it annoying. You probably found it a bit irritating and distracting. Well, tough. Put up with it. The noise of a baby crying in church is the noise of the future. The noise of a baby crying in church is a noise of hope. And we should cherish that. Yes, as a priest saying Mass, I find it difficult when babies are crying. I'm sure mums find it even worse trying to stop them crying. But don't you dare tut. Don't you dare look down at them if they're crying. Thank God we have children. Thank God we have life. Because life is good news. And so as a parish family, we're called to support marriage life, family life. And to help families, as St. Augustine says, to be faithful in little things. Because little things are big things. Simply by living their vocation, a husband and wife become the most important building block of society. Marriage is the foundation and the guarantee of freedom in every civilized society. And the family is the foundation and guarantee of freedom. Because it's within the intimate community of family life that a child knows that they're loved. In observing parents, children learn the first basic values of life, like loyalty and honesty, selfless concern for others, which build up a wider character in society. And that's where children learn to be good. That's where children learn to grow and to become good people. And so families have a duty to cherish that and help children. In the baptismal rite, when we bless the Father, we ask God to bless the father and mother who will be the first teachers of their children in the ways of faith. The family is the human being's most important sanctuary for life, for the model of love. And we should never let anything destroy it. But do all we can 
to proclaim and protect married life between a man and a woman created by God, created for families. Love lived generously is the argument for God, for the dignity of the human heart, and we should see that in our families. In my years as a priest, I've seen time and again that the human heart is made for truth. People are hungry for the truth, and they will choose it if it's presented clearly and with conviction, if it's lived by Christians. And husbands and wives are a model of love that the world needs to see, of stability, of commitment, of patience. And so our God is the God of life, and that life we see lived in our families, in our homes. Something I always tell children in school, I sometimes say to them, how do you spell love? And of course they say, love or L-O-V-E. And I say, no, that's not how you spell love. You spell love T-I-M-E. Time. Time given to each other. Time given to our children. Time given to God. And that's what our families need above all. But Benedict said that falling in love is a beautiful thing. However, he said, falling in love is just the start of the journey, not its highest point. Something more wonderful still awaits married couples, he said. And he explained it by the gospel passage we began with tonight. I often think of the wedding feast at Cana. The first wine is very fine. That is falling in love. But it does not last until the end. There's a second wine that comes, a wine that comes with maturity, with commitment. The definitive love that can truly become this second wine is more wonderful still, better than the first wine, and it's that wine that God promises in married life. And so in the maturity of years together, there comes that second wine. Pope Benedict also said that we should remember the elderly pass on history, doctrine, faith, and leave us an inheritance. He observed that they often play a heroic role in handing on the faith in times of persecution. And he said that the answer to our absent-minded and confused secular world are grandmothers and grandfathers. So I'd like to talk for a moment about our grandparents. We need grandparents, and we need grandparents to do a job. Because grandparents, you need to become the evangelizers of your families. Your families need you, the church needs you. You might think as a grandparent, I can put my feet up, I've done my job, it's time for my children to do theirs. Oh no, we need you. The church needs you more than ever before. We need our grandparents to help hand on the faith. And this is something Pope Francis spoke about with his own grandmother, a lady called Rosa. And he explained in one of his interviews that it was his grandmother that taught him to pray. And it was his grandmother 
who gave him the faith. When I think about my own family life, it was my, my granny who was the one who made us make the sign of the cross when we got in the car. It was my granny who'd get us to say the prayer to our guardian angels. It was my great auntie May who would take us to Eucharistic adoration and then an ice cream if we'd been quiet. Grandparents have a vital role to play. And when I think about my own life, it's my Granny Turnbull on my mum's side and my great auntie May on my dad's side who gave me the faith. They're the reasons I believe. My parents went to church Christmas and Easter and things, but really it was my grandmother and my great auntie May who were the strong bastions of faith in my life. Now they were very different characters. Granny Turnbull on my mum's side, she was a free Presbyterian. Great auntie May, she was the Catholic. But together, they were a formidable team, and together they handed on the Christian faith. And a strange thing happened when my grandmother died. Going through her effects, my mother, in her bedside, in my granny's bedside cabinet, she found a rosary, and it was obvious this rosary had been used. And I was astonished at this, and so said to my great auntie May, do you know why Granny has a rosary? And auntie May said, yes, I gave it to her. And I said, well, why? And she said, we used to say the rosary every day. And I was astonished. And auntie May said, yes, your Granny and I would say the rosary every day for you and for the other grandchildren. So my grandmother, a free Presbyterian, someone who would make Ian Paisley seem like a fluffy bunny rabbit. She said the rosary every day for us, her grandchildren. That's why we have the faith. That's why we believe, because of our granny. So grandparents, your job's just beginning. We need you, and we need you to help hand on the faith to your grandchildren, to be an example for them. Now, another vocation that comes from married life and family life is the vocation of a widow. Now, in Scripture, we often hear about widows, heroic widows, widows in the early church who served the Christian community. And that's something we still need widows to do today. When someone you love dies, when someone who has been the rock in your life goes home to God, there's nothing any priest or bishop or pope can say to take away the pain of losing someone we love. But that gap that's left behind needs to be filled up. That gap that's left behind when someone we love dies, we shouldn't just let it be there. We should fill that up with doing something good. And so in our parishes, widows, widowers are essential. When I think about my own parish in Chelmsford, if there's someone in, pro in, in difficulties, someone with problems, someone who needs help, it's the widows and the widowers of the parish who come forward. And we need to imitate them, to be like them. And remember that if you are a widow or a widower, you still have a family. You still have someone to care for you and love you. You have this parish and we have Jesus Christ.
and always imitate perhaps the greatest widow in Scripture. We don't often think of her as a widow, but our Blessed Mother, Our Lady, married to St. Joseph, and the tradition of the Church is that St. Joseph died when she was young. So she was a widow, but she was a widow who stood by the cross. She saw her son die. Nothing can plumb the depths of that grief, but she was there. And we need our widows and widowers to do that today. St. John Paul II said that as the family goes, so goes the nation, so goes the world. If we care about the world we live in, we need to care for our families. And it's not easy. It's hard work. It's difficult. But in love, we're called to serve each other. It's a vocation we all have. Remember what I said at the beginning. The essential vocation of every Christian is to be loved. A couple of nights ago, I said, St. John Paul's worry, that the reason we don't have saints is that people aren't prepared to be loved. Well, we need to love each other, and especially our families. I've spoken for too long this evening, so I'll, I'll try and come to an end now, and you'll be relieved to know. But I'll finish with just a little story about a young man called James Foley. Now, James Foley was an American journalist who was kidnapped and killed by Islamic fundamentalists in the Middle East. Now, before he was killed, he had been kidnapped twice. And when he was kidnapped the first time, he was released. And on his release, he wrote a letter home. And this is what he says in the letter. He said, myself and two colleagues have been captured and we were being held in some military cell in Tripoli. Each day brought increasing worry that our parents would be panicking, that mum and dad would be worrying. Each day brought new pain and beatings. My colleague Claire, who was with me, was supposed to call her mum on her birthday, and this filled her with more pain than the beatings. And so I suggested that we pray together. And as I prayed, I prayed that my mum would know I was okay. I prayed I could communicate with my mum through God. And I began to pray the rosary. It was a prayer that my mother and grandmother taught me. I said ten Hail Marys between each our father. It took a long time, almost an hour, to count a hundred Hail Marys on the knuckles of my hands but it helped me to survive. Claire and I prayed together out loud. We were given great strength as we had this conversation with God, and we knew that we did not suffer alone. A year after writing that letter, James was killed. Now, James slowly coped with the beatings, with the violence, with his eventual death, because of what his mother and grandmother had taught him. That young man coped with a pain that we can't imagine because of a gift given to him 
his mother and grandmother. We should pray that all of our families, our mothers and fathers, grandparents, prepare to hand on this precious gift to children. So dear friends, tonight is our final talk in the series of talks in the evening. We come to the weekend. On Sunday, we have the final Mass of the Mission. And so as we come to the close of our time together, I'd like to say thank you. Thank God for you. Thank God for your faith. Thank God for your courage. And thank God that you've allowed God into your life. I know I speak for Father Stephen when I say it's been a huge privilege to be with you this week. And we thank God for you. Thank you for your courage in living your Christian faith. Thank you for your witness to Jesus Christ in this world. Thank you for being part of this parish. You are this parish. This is your home. Thank you for making it a holy place. So look after each other. Take care of each other. Look after your parish together. It's yours. You take care of it. And I'd ask you as well to put up with your parish priest. To take care of him. To love him. To look after him. You are truly blessed in your parish priest. And you should thank God for the gift of your Catholic faith that you receive through him. But thank you. Thank you for this week. Thank you for your courage and witness. Thank you for your faith. And so whatever vocation God is asking you to fulfill, whatever vocation God is calling you to live in this parish family, fulfill it, love it, cherish it, and remember that life is worth living. So get on and live it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end.